Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 55, How Pattern-Aware Leadership Drives Change, featuring Sylvia LaFerre. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Did you ever think, I wish my direct reports or my coworkers would stop with their sob stories or... I just can't listen to one more complaint. Or why can't they just do their jobs and go home? Well, in this episode, we're going to be talking about effective ways to react at work by getting to the bottom of workplace behaviors that waste time and effort. Our guest today is Sylvia LaFerre, who is the author of several books, probably the most famous being Don't Bring It to Work, Breaking the Family Patterns That Limit Success, and also her newest book, which is Gutsy, how Women Leaders Make Change. Sylvia, welcome to the show. Oh, delighted to be here, Jesse. Now, Sylvia, both of your books, you're coming both from the leadership perspective and the psychology perspective. You're, you're the, the president of CEO, which, what does that stand for? Creative Energy Options. Creative Energy Options. I love that. CEO. Both of your books, Don't Bring It to Work and Gutsy, are built on this principle, I guess, that who we are at work is not really different than who we are outside of work. Can you explain where that concept came from? Well, I think that, that there are a couple of really important things here. And one is that leadership, real leadership, leadership that we need to move us into new directions, really is a, an inside-out project, if you will, because when we we have buttons that get pushed personally and professionally and if we're aware of these things uh self-awareness i think is critical then we don't get trapped um as badly in terms of responding in a knee-jerk way so i think for leaders leaders in every organization uh leaders in corporations entrepreneurs educators, you know, wherever you go, parents, for crying out loud, I think we need to learn why our buttons get pushed and what to do about it as a core foundation for healthy leadership. And so you you suggest that a lot of what happens there are patterns that are in ourselves or in people that we work with that probably go all the way back to their family of origin. Well, absolutely, and and our childhood. So here here's the idea that what we learn in our original organization, which is the family, about fairness, about favoritism, about backbiting, about betrayal, about collaboration, about commitment, we learn that early, and it's it's locked in in our nervous system, and it's if you think about what gets talked about in the workplace where people get annoyed. They talk about fairness. They talk about favoritism. <laughs> they talk about backbiting. They talk about betrayal and collaboration and commitment. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what I have found, and 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 I'll tell you a, a very funny story that that somebody told me is a mother was yelling up to her daughter saying, "Hurry up, get ready for school, or you're going to be late." And the daughter yells down, "I don't want to go. Nobody likes me, and they talk about me behind my back." And the mother yells up, "Oh, for crying out loud! I've heard that forever. And besides, now you're the principal." <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> Patterns. <laughs> That's great. Jesse, let me tell you, this, this is really what I'm going to say now is probably the crux of this, that there are plenty of times that we can behave in mature, responsible, really creative ways. It's when stress hits the hot button that we revert back to patterns from childhood that we had there for security and survival, literally for survival, that kick in. So it's about what I call learning how to practice safe stress, if you will, and being able to be in control of our emotions when they come up rather than have them in control of us. What does that mean to practice safe stress? You know, it's the premise of this leadership program that we obviously have been having great success with over, you know, more than a decade now. And it's really about being able to take the reins of our emotions. And picture yourself sitting on a horse and you have the reins. And if you know what you're doing, you can have the horse go in the direction you want. And if you don't, the horse can kind of go wild and and all kinds of things can happen. So safe stress is that middle zone, that zone where, you know, when you're running or doing anything and you really get in that zone, you can go forever and you feel pretty confident. That's the safe stress zone. On one side of the safe stress zone is what I call freakoutville. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And what's on the other side of the safe stress zone is zombieville. Hmm. So the middle place is where we're not overreacting or pulling the covers over our head, pretending that nothing, you know, there's no problem when there really is. So it's really being aware, self-awareness. And it's interesting, in, in the years that I've been working in this field, and leadership is my absolute passion, is, and it's not an easy place to be when you're a leader because it is kind of lonely and you do have to be the, the role model. But what I have found is when people become self-aware, they much more easily cannot get entrapped in other people's issues and they are more willing to tell the truth in, in a way that is elegant and appropriate. Because the other thing we teach is telling the truth is not spilling your guts. Mm. So I I have a bunch of (laughs) (laughs) one-liners. That is very powerful, that being self-aware means you're less likely to get trapped into other people's patterns or let that uh, manipulate you, if you will. So recognizing you you, you have your own patterns and how you can sort of grow beyond those and then real, it makes you more aware that, well, other people probably have some patterns too, and so uh, you need to become aware of those. You know, it's very interesting. When we do programs in, uh, in, in organizations, uh, we will usually start by doing a, a couple of hours, 
you know, to get people used to this. And in those few hours in the middle, you know, you take a 10-minute a break, a, a, a bio break, what we call a liquid leveling break. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, what happens is people will, will walk out going, wow, that's just like my boss or my colleague or my mother-in-law. And when they come back, I say, how many can see these patterns that I'll talk about in a minute? And everybody raises their hand. And then somebody will say, wow, I really got a sense of why my husband does this or why my, you know, direct report does that and on and on. And then I'll say, how many saw the patterns? How many saw your own personal patterns? And you get a sprinkling of hands. Because it's so much easier to see this on somebody else. This is where mm. self-awareness is. I think it's the key to uh, 21st century high-level leadership where we don't get trapped. And so we we need to really look at the patterns. And, and Jesse, what I'd like to say, and then you know, ask me a few more questions, but on my Sylvia LaFaire website, there is a freebie pattern-aware quiz that you can take so that you can get a sense of what your patterns are, because it really does start with you. Well, can you give us an example of what, I know you've identified the 13, I think, the 13 most common patterns, but can you give us an example of what one or two of those are like? Sure. Let me go back for a second and say how I got involved in doing this in the first place, which is kind of a fun story. I had a personal growth center. You know, I'm a Ph.D. psychologist and a family therapist. And one evening we were doing a program for parents whose adolescent kids were driving them crazy, and the room was pretty full. Mm. And at the end of it, a man walked up to me and he said, will you come work with my senior leadership team? And I said, Hmm. why? And he said, they're fighting. And I said, so what? (laughs) But Sylvia, you work with people who have to get along, and they have to get along. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. Let me go in, because I always like to explore new territory, and see what I can do with the knowledge that I have. And obviously it worked, or I would never have written a book called Don't Bring It to Work. (laughs) And um, in in the middle of that, you know, I saw these patterns that I saw in families. It was the same kind of thing. So, you know, I would see the the um, super achiever, the, the me, me, me guy or gal, and not somebody who's going for excellence. We all should do that, but the one who all eyes have to be on them all the time. Mm-hmm. You know anybody like that, Jesse? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, and, and they're they're just very frustrating both at home to other siblings, but also in the workplace because they take up so much airtime and they diminish the trust because you could be in the hallway having a conversation with an idea and two days later being in a meeting and the superachiever will say, well, you know, I couldn't sleep last night and I thought about this and here's this great idea and you're thinking, son of a gun, that was my idea, but they don't give credit Mm. because they have to be first in everything, and it, it's, it's obsessional. So that's one of the big patterns that I began to see. And uh, the good news about what I've done is these patterns can be transformed. We can change them with a little bit of elbow grease. 
So the the super achiever becomes the creative collaborator. They learn how to work and realize that it takes more than just their own wonderful brilliance to to drive things, and they have to have to learn how to work more as a team and can. It's 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 definitely doable. I've seen it over and over. That's one of the big patterns that's there. Another one, and I'll own this one, is the drama queen or king, <laughs> which does it takes up a lot of energy in the workplace. And, um, you know, these are people who, not that dissimilar to the super achiever, the me, me, me person, they're the, you know, uh, I'm the greatest uh, and, and pay attention to me in a different way. So they're always spilling out their their emotions and, and making a lot of noise. And um, it's disruptive. It's also being a or I used to be drama queen. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of adrenaline comes with that one. So that's another one. And as I started to really understand these patterns, I thought, okay, I don't want to be a drama queen the rest of my life. So what do I do about it? But I like the adrenaline that goes with it. And I was able to figure out that transforming that one, you become a good storyteller. You still use a lot of the energy. You still get that extra kind of hit in your nervous system, but for good rather than just for self-serving purposes. Does that make any sense? It does. And I love the way you've both identified the pattern that can limit your success as well as a great vision for who you can transform into. And I like in the book you talk about how personal growth doesn't really magically change you into someone else, but it, it helps become a, a better and more developed, more fulfilled version of the person you already are. So it's more of a metamorphosis, like a, a, a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. You're still the same entity. And so you're not saying, hey, I used to be a drama queen, and now I'm going to go be a wallflower. Uh, you're not talking about completely becoming somebody else. You're talking about leveraging your strengths and, and going beyond those limiting patterns. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting. The Chinese have a saying that when I first heard it, I went, huh, what? So I'll say it, and then if you go, huh, what, I'll tell you what I got. It's the bigger the front, the bigger the back. Huh, Hmm. what? (laughs) (laughs) And basically that's where I got, oh, flip it over. It's the same amount of energy. It's, you know, take a, a, a nickel or a quarter you have it on one side, you flip it over, there's a different symbol on the other side, but, you know, it's the same coin. It's just a different symbol, and I think that that's the most powerful contribution that I've been able to make in the workplace is, hey, wait a minute, you, you're right. It's, you don't have to make the opposite, the negative of it, or something. So you take it and you put a little elbow grease in. And you make it into something that is usable. So I'll tell you the super achiever story that for me was pretty interesting is we were at a meeting and it it was a sales group. There were about 30 people there and they were doing best practices. And this guy stood up and he was talking about all his major successes um, and he was going on and on. And I looked around the room. I was facilitating the group. And I had worked with this group for 
at least six months, eight months, I guess. So I knew them fairly well. Anyway, he was going on and on, got stuck in an old pattern of me, me, me. And the other people in the room, physical bodies were there. You've been in meetings like that, but nobody was really in the room. You know, people were out there shopping uh, for food for dinner or figuring out if that, what kind of new car they want to buy or <laughs> how they could get to the kids' soccer game. So he finally, nobody was, was at, they weren't at the place in their group that somebody was willing to challenge him. So I took that on. And what I want to give your readers is an important takeaway. All I said to him was, Jerry, stop. And everybody came back in the room. You know, their minds were back aligned with their bodies. Hmm. And I said to him, what is your intention? And that's a very powerful uh, sentence to use to help people begin the transformation process. What is your intention? So the room was quiet. I really didn't know what he was going to say. I was curious to see if some of the work we did stuck. And uh, after a, a very long 30 seconds, he said, I was just grandstanding, and I apologize. Mm. I really got stuck in showing how good I am, and it's not appropriate. And he sat down. So I did what a really good facilitator does at that moment. I said, (laughs) why don't we take a break? (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's what was interesting. I stood on the side, and I watched. We were in a meeting place where there was like an outside patio, and it was a pretty day. So he, he, you know, he was embarrassed. So he started going out, and I watched about a third of the people follow him. And I saw them shaking his hand and, you know, patting his his arm, and they were out there talking. And others went and did whatever they did. And when we came back, we didn't start doing a big, long debrief about what happened. It was just acknowledge the power of being willing to own your own behavior, to say what was going on without a lot of bells and whistles and, and noise. You know, it's telling the truth is not spilling your guts, which is what he did. The rest of that day, as I tracked it, was one of the most creative days I had ever had with that group or probably many groups because the energy had gotten freed up. And, you know, the creative ideas that were coming out for new ways of of going after sales were absolutely amazing. And... The paradox here is that out of his annoying behavior, being able to say, I was grandstanding, and I apologize, and he sat down. But what happened was he then led the way for creative collaboration for the group. So you can begin to see these patterns when you tame them and begin to transform them. Uh, it, It makes for an incredible team. Uh, when people can do that. As you can see, I'm pretty passionate about this stuff. Yes. This might be a good time to ask a question that's come in from our community. Uh, This is from George, and he asks, I understand the point about becoming aware of your own patterns and working on them first. But if I recognize someone I work with has a pattern, how do I help them address it without causing defensiveness? Oh, that's perfect. Uh, and it's an important, important question. Uh, without becoming defensive, maybe a little hard, 
initially, but you can get there. Here, here's what happens. Um, again, in Don't Bring It to Work, we and, and in our Total Leadership Connections program, and I, I put it in the book because I think it's important, we do a thing called a PEP talk. Mm-hmm. PEP stands for Pattern Encounter Process. So what we, what we learn in doing that is how do you dialogue with another person about what's going on to help them and to get things moving. So once you know your own pattern, you can own it. Uh, you, can, you can say it. I mean, I have said in, in, in different meetings, you know, um, if I get a little bit, start to feel myself getting a little um, over the edge with my Academy Award-winning hissy fit, I'll pull <laughs> back and I'll say, you know, I apologize. The drama queen in me was starting to uh, come out, and um, I don't want that to happen. So in doing that, you're setting the stage for other people. Now, here's I'm going to give you an example. Uh, let's take the super achiever, since that's what we were talking about, and who becomes a creative collaborator. The first thing that you do if you have a colleague who's a super achiever is you need to know that until you acknowledge that they have good things to do, to say, you know, that they do participate, and, and almost all the time they're really good, good employees, you know, good, good leaders in some form, they need to be acknowledged because the obsession for having to be, be first, best, and if you will, grandstand, often comes from having been in a family where they were the, quote, chosen one to make up for some kind of dysfunction or shame or upset that was in the family. Now, you're, you're not going into that. That's none of your business. But you can know that there is something that was driving it. So what you say is, you know, you really do great work. People need to hear that. Mm-hmm. They won't listen to you as a super achiever unless you start with something like that. And you can say, you know, people really want to take what you have and follow it. However, when you start to talk about yourself so much, it shuts other people down. And I wonder if you could begin to look at another way of bringing that great talent that you have into the into the group by helping other people in the group meet you come come to where you are and be able to um to mentor them to to work with them now will every super achiever on the planet hear you no will many yes and then you can, and, and this is short, you don't do a big long dialogue uh, with them. You simply say it's something to think about, and I'd be willing to talk about it with you at another time if you like. Hmm. So you give them, you have to give them something that makes them feel good, and then you can uh, uh, kind of paint a vision of where they can go to um, help make a difference, because underneath we really would prefer that. Is that helpful? That is. And when you talk about the the pep talk, the pattern encounter process, I I like in the book you you talk about how you sort of imagine that talk happening and either using role-playing 
or else just by yourself writing it down and then speaking it out loud. Why is that a, a good step to take going into that kind of a discussion? Well, because I think this is new territory for us. You know, the, in, in, the, in the business world up till very recently, maybe the last 10, 10 years, um, it was much more hierarchical and, and there was a level of being told what to do. We're still doing that in most schools for crying out loud. You know, kids are told, you know, get your work done, answer the questions, play it safe, which we all tend to do. So you need some practice in being able to say something to someone else that you may be concerned would hurt them or upset them or get them to be defensive. So I think that that practicing, writing it down, you know, it's important, and, and helping each other see the patterns is is important. But unless you get skilled, what you're going to do is get people angry with you. Mm-hmm. And it, it, in, in the leadership program, we do role-playing there. We have somebody in the group pick another person, uh, and they set the stage for it and talk about, you know, here's, here's um, kind of some of the, the ways this person behaves, and here's the, um, the pattern that, that I want to help them with. And, and then it goes back and forth, and it usually takes two or three times of saying it before the person you're role-playing with saying, you know, uh, that one I heard. Because normally we, we will get defensive, and the workplace has been set up for us to play it safe. You know, the CYA kind of thing and mm-hmm. covering your whatever you want to call that part of your anatomy that uh, <laughs> Miley Cyrus has been making very popular these days. We learn that you don't speak out, and, you, and, and, and it's not about really helping each other um, in a deep way. So, you know, team is, is initially when we started putting groups into teams in the workplace, it started, I guess, in the in the uh, 80s, the experiment with it, and it was kind of looking at it from a perspective of uh, uh, sports teams. And we also know the best sports teams are those where they've learned how to really pay attention to and help each other. So this is the next level of teaming, is how do you talk to somebody and get them to hear you so practice is important, Jesse. In the book, one of the things I found helpful in becoming a pattern-aware leader are these four ground rules for communicating and working together. And uh, maybe we can just ma- um, make sure that those are we're clear on, on those, what those are, because it, it is sort of helpful to, once you own your own patterns, to then uh, going beyond and changing the dynamics within the larger culture. Uh, But number one is treat truth-telling as a precise art form. What do you mean by that? Well, that's what I've said, and and it's really critical. Telling the truth is not spilling your guts. Yeah, I like that. What What does that mean? Well, it means that you have to be aware of what your thoughts are. You also have to be aware of who is on the other side uh, of this equation and factor in that. Uh, here's what I have found about truth telling, Jesse. I've sat in meetings and, I, and I've been in, in coaching situations where two people have 
kind of been going at it and they need to talk to each other differently, that when it gets to where the real truth is, the sentences are seven, nine, maybe 12 words max. They are not Hmm. run-on sentences. They are not paragraphs. They're short. And they're sentences that say, you know, I'm, I'm, I appreciate all the work you've done, and I'm concerned that you are going in a direction now that um, doesn't have buy-in from the group. Uh, and, and then you say this magical sentence, and now I'd like to hear from you. So you hmm. begin this back-and-forth conversation, but it's, it's, you really have to, um, most of us, and, and, and I will say, you know, because I've written the book Gutsy, uh, looking at women, women do tend to speak longer than men. They mm-hmm. tend to go on longer. Some men do. Most men are shorter. But the difference is that often the men will stay in that safe zone of, you know, slap them on the back and say <laughs> everything's okay when it really isn't. Right. You know. <laughs> And women, on the other hand, and I hate to stereotype, but some of this is in our DNA. You know, hmm. they have found that women do use more words per day than men do. <laughs> yeah, sometimes my my wife, at the end of the day, I'll be kind of tired, and she'll say, "Well, honey, I still have about twenty more thousand words I need to get in to keep up with the average woman." So <laughs> perfect. She's a smart lady. <laughs> <laughs> she is very good. So it, it it is about, uh, you know, this is all part of the self-awareness, and it's part of, in leadership, really learning about the interactive aspect. You're in it, the other person slash people are in it. What you say is going to have an impact. Let me give you an example about that. Uh, somebody was telling me that uh, uh, there was a gal leaving the organization, and I was invited. I was sitting there at the uh, party to, you know, wish her well in her new job. I mean, she was not being fired. She wasn't leaving out of anger. She was leaving to move on. But as she was acknowledging people, there was somebody in there who, a male, who tended to be somebody who interrupted. And she was in the middle of something, and he interrupted in her farewell speech. So she said, thank you very much, but... I, you know, I I don't have to listen to you interrupting me anymore. And um, it's interesting, she said, because when you would come in and interrupt and say, do it this way, we would just look at you and you'd leave and we'd do what we wanted anyway. Mm. Okay, fast forward a week later, somebody said, wasn't that passive aggressive? I said, well, that's one way of looking at it. I said the other way was, she was in the beginning of a learning process about how to tell the truth. And this was a gal who was a pleaser, who would always just smile and say yes, who was learning to be a truth teller. Mm. So she didn't have it handled totally, but she was on her way, but she was determined to tell the truth. So, But that was different than being passive-aggressive. Yeah. So, you know, if if... if she had been interrupted. The truth teller who did it eloquently would have said, you know, whoops, here we go again. Um, and I've learned a lot about how to put a stop when somebody interrupts me by saying, um, that won't work right now. That would have been it. 
That's mm. telling the truth um, uh, without spilling your guts. Oh, that's good. So treat truth-telling as a precise art form. Number two is make sure that work is not a rehab facility. Oh, that's a big one. And everybody in HR, when they hear that, they just take a big, deep sigh. Because, you know, the good, bad news about the workplace is it's still people that come into the office. You know, I see Mm -hmm. all this thing about robots taking over a lot of basic work that we're doing, and I thought, how wonderful if they don't work, you just fix that little screw in there or put some oil somewhere and that's the end of it, but we're not there, <laughs> okay? So it's learning that there are limits to how much people talk about or how much you intend to help them. And I have been, because my background is in psychology, This is one that that I have had to learn the hard way often, that there are places if somebody's not placed properly, good to great, Jim Collins, he's Mm -hmm. right, get the right people on the bus, get them Mm -hmm. in their seats. And sometimes we'll overwork helping someone when it's just not right placement or they're not willing to do enough work. And I think we have to be able to say, that's it. Uh, I'm writing a book now, Jesse, and the working title is Fix Them, Don't Fire Them. Mm. You know, higher profits and, 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 and less people being, I, I can't even remember the rest of the title. I keep blocking on it. But I <laughs> wanted to change it to Fix Them, Don't Fire Them, parentheses, unless you really have to. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, a, there's, a, there's an appropriate uh, time and and uh, limits on what you should do. Now, number three is listen for emotions and repetition. And I think that's getting to where you're identifying, is this, is this really a pattern? Exactly. Exactly. And I think uh, I'll give you a really good example of that is um, somebody who was telling me, in, 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 she worked in an office, and there, there was a woman who was her boss. And she said to me, oh, Sylvia, this is so great, and it's so great having you as a, a, a coach. I was coaching the, the, the whole team to have you here because she said, I just could never get along with a male boss. So the word never hmm. sparks. Pay attention when people say never. Never and always are very much um, a models of, of, look, you're getting into the world of pattern. So I said, really? You know, so tell me a little more. And she started talking about some bosses she had had in the past and how the men were always, and she had, Mm. you know, they were always overbearing and they were always uh, demanding and women were always much more easy to talk with. So uh, there was a reorg in the organization uh, a couple months later, and she ended up reporting to a male boss. And she um, she was one, sadly, who wasn't willing to do the work to look at herself because she was right. She could, quote, never get along with hmm. a male boss, and she finally quit and went somewhere else. And I tracked her because uh, I liked her, but, you know, she wasn't willing to look at her own patterns. Uh, uh, till several years later when she had had two male bosses that she could never get along with and she finally had a look and go back and see where she got stuck with uh, 
both her father and her older two older brothers who were kings of the hill and she was trapped there so it's really important to begin to listen to what people say and to watch what they do yeah so listening to emotions and repetition to Id- identify those patterns in yourself or others uh, that that are limiting and the fourth is be open to outcome, not attached to it. That sounds paradoxical. Well, it's very zen <laughs> if you <laughs> think about it. <laughs> and it, it really is when you go into a situation and you go in to talk with somebody and you use my magic words, and now I'd like to hear from you. Mm-hmm. You have to be open to what's going to be said. And be willing, in in the very last chapter of of Don't Bring It to Work, uh, I talk about a team. And every story, Jesse, by the way, in the book is a true story. Yeah, I've certainly changed names because this is mostly personal stuff. And it's, it's, I don't want, and even though several people said, use my name and use the name of my company. I'm proud of the work we've done. It wasn't that kind of a book. So I've changed names and, you know, kind of industries, if you will. Um, But there's a team that got together, and uh, there was one guy who had gone to, he had a lawyer, and there were some issues that were going on with the team. And he, the, I was asked to come in and work with them, and the, the director of the group said to me, Sylvia, you have to figure out how to help him uh, leave the organizations. Because if we fire him, it's going to cost a lot of money. He has this high-powered lawyer and blah, 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 blah. So I went in and I had to just say, look, I don't know where this is going to go, but we're going we're gonna to take it to a place of seeing if we can tell the truth, look at the patterns, you know, we're not here to rescue each other. We're here to have the best team possible. And then you just have to sort of trust the wisdom of the group, of the team. If if you've set the stage mm-hmm. to want to obviously make it work well. Um, and often it'll go in directions that are shocking, surprising, and very fulfilling. You have to stay open to it. So, so- he stayed in the organization. Because um, I and I had gotten the team, the small team, open to outcome. So we said, let's see where it goes. And they all became really different kinds of colleagues by the end of it, and hmm. many of them really good friends. Oh, that's great. Well, we've been talking about being a pattern-aware leader, and we've looked at four ground rules. Number one, treat truth-telling as a precise art form. Number two, make sure that work is not a rehab facility. Three, listen for emotions and repetition. And four, be open to outcome, not attached to it. The main book we've been talking about with author Sylvia LaFerre is Don't Bring It to Work, Breaking the Family Patterns That Limit Success. And also the author of Gutsy, How Women Leaders Make Change. Sylvia, how can we find out more about your work and your books? Uh, the best way for now is to go to my Sylvia LaFerre website, and it's Sylvia with a Y, S-Y-L-V-I-A, LaFerre, L-A-F as in Frank, A-I-R.com. As I said, the Pattern Aware quiz is on there. And, Jesse, let me say this because this is uh, helpful to people. 
it's a weighted quiz. So there are questions and four answers, and sometimes you look and you say, well, I wouldn't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. Just pick the one if you had to, you would choose. Just let that happen because it's a weighted quiz, and you will get the response pretty quickly in terms of the patterns that are most sticky for you. In other words, I can make a case for all 13 patterns, and I couldn't get it lower than that because I kept saying, no, this one's different than that one. So I, I, you know, I kept it at 13, even though people like lower numbers like seven, <laughs> but I couldn't <laughs> get it down there. So take the quiz, mm-hmm. you'll get the answers, and then if anybody has any concerns or questions, you know, uh, call us. And I'll just tell you, the funny one is somebody who called and one of my colleagues answered the phone and she was very annoyed. She said, this quiz doesn't make sense and what I had as my one of my primary patterns simply isn't. So the gal said, well, what was it? She said, um, the avoider. <laughs> and she said, well, how long ago did you take the quiz? She said, Three months ago, I just wasn't ready to call you yet. (laughs) (laughs) So sometimes, even if it's right in front of your face, it takes a little bit to look at it again. Wow. But once you get it and you become comfortable with it, and you don't see this as bad, this is, and and we don't have the time, and I I can't go into what I'm going to say now in detail, and it's not really necessary, it's interesting, but not necessary, is in the family, we literally picked patterns to keep the family going, to keep Mm -hmm. it in homeostasis, if you will, because the family is meant to survive. So if somebody older was in the family or somebody who had more ability had the superachiever card, you may have taken the um, victim card. Uh, and, and, And each family has its own play that it's doing but this stuff goes into the lower parts of our nervous system and we take it with us everywhere into our own grown-up families and into the workplace and taking this and seeing it in the workplace for me has been the most exciting thing because if somebody called me from our leadership program jesse a a, a woman and she said hi i'm so-and-so's a wife and my first thought was is everything okay she said yes i said well how can i help you she said i'm just calling to say thank you i said for what she said i don't know she said i don't know what you're doing he doesn't talk about a lot at home but all i know is the kids and i think he's a heck of a lot nicer than he used to be and he listens better Hmm. so i thought okay this work is just pretty exciting to keep doing oh it's fascinating So being a pattern-aware leader, the first step, of course, is to be aware of our own patterns, and uh, then that will also increase our awareness with others and and help us create a culture that's more, we're better able to help people deal with their patterns. So I think that's a great first step is to take that quiz, and we will put a link to that quiz on our show notes as well as a link to your website. Well, Sylvia LaFerre, thank you for joining us today on Engaging Leader. Oh, thanks, and great questions, and I've enjoyed this a whole lot. All right, leaders, that wraps up this episode. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 55, as in episode 55. 
And while you're on the show notes page, you can provide your thoughts or questions in the comment section. And by the way, if you have a question or comment about this episode or a past episode or about any topic related to leadership communication and engagement, we would love to include you on the conversation. You can leave an audio message by calling 989-787-0060, or you can go to engagingleader.com and click on the record voicemail button. And of course, you can submit questions or comments by email or on Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.